Our second reading today comes to us from the second book of Samuel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he had put the Gibbonites to death. So the king called the Gibbonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibbonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them. Saul had tried to wipe them out in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibbonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make expiation that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibbonites said to him, It's not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for you to put anyone to death in Israel. He said, What do you say that I should do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, Let seven of his sons be handed over to us, and we will impale them over the Lord at Gibeon and the mountain of the Lord. The king said, I will hand them over. But the king spared Mehisbosheth, the son of Saul's son, David, because of the oath the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. The king took two sons of Rizpah, daughter of Aiea, whom she bore to Saul, Armani and Mephisbosheth, and the five sons of Merib, daughter of Saul, whom she bare to Adriel, son of Barzillia, the Mephisbosheth. He gave them into the hands of the Gibbonites, and they impaled them on the mountain before the Lord. The seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aiea, took sackcloth and spread it on a rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell on them from the heavens. She did not allow the birds of the air to come on the bodies by day or wild animals by night. When David was told of what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiea, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the people of Jabeth-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public squares of Beth Shan, where the Philistines had hung them up on the day that the Philistines killed Saul and Gilboa. He brought up from those bones on Saul and the bones of his son, Jonathan. And they gathered up the bones of those who had been impaled. They buried the bones of Saul and his son, Jonathan, in the land of Benjamin and Zelia, in the tomb of his father, Kish. They did all that the king commanded. After that, God heeded supplications for the land. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God have many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. This past week on Thursday, Heather and I traveled to Pittsburgh 
We'd never been to Pittsburgh except to pass through it, but we went to a gala there to raise awareness for angiosarcoma. Angiosarcoma is the rare cancer that took my friend Scott's life earlier this year. And his wife and his family started a foundation to raise awareness and to raise funds to to treat this cancer, to research it, to find out more. And since we're only a few hours away, we felt obligated and we wanted to go to support his family, to remember him, and hope that others don't fall prey to this rare but deadly disease. While we were there, his widow, Laura, was making a a speech and talking about the disease. And she mentioned something that, that almost took my breath away. She said, it hasn't been quite seven months since we received Scott's diagnosis. And it hasn't been quite six months since he passed away. And I thought, six months? Is that really it? It's only been six months? It seems like it was so much longer ago. So much has happened. I had the surgery. We celebrated Hannah's birthday, my birthday. We went to Mars Hill. We had art and music camp. We went and saw my brother. We went on vacation. I applied for my my doctoral degree. So much has happened between then and now. It's only been six months. And I realized that life goes on. And this doesn't mean that I don't miss Scott dearly. This doesn't mean I don't mourn him on a weekly, if not daily, basis. But it means that he's gone and I am still here. That I still have a life to live. That after we lose someone we love, life continues. But what would it look like if life didn't continue. I remember then the days after his death, after the funeral, it did seem that the world had stopped. That that was all I could think about, all I could focus on. But then other demands on my life came in. I had to preach on Sunday. Hannah needed to go to the doctor. We had something else come up. We had to cook dinner. We had to clean the house. There was still life to live. Today we're continuing our summer sermon series on the forgotten women of the Bible. And now that we're into August and art and music camp is over and the Mars Hill mission trip is over and vacations are over, we're actually going to spend a couple weeks in a row on this sermon series, as as shocking as that might sound. But today we're going to talk about the woman Rizbah. And Rizba only appears twice in Scripture. She never speaks. Both times she appears in 2 Samuel. She was a concubine of Saul's. And in fact, she had two of Saul's sons. And when Saul passed, the kingdom was divided, and one of his, his oldest sons took the northern kingdom, and David ruled the southern kingdom. And her first appearance is in a power struggle with Saul's oldest son. And Saul's oldest son accused his closest advisor of sleeping with her as a way to gather power for himself. And there becomes a power struggle and they fight over this woman. 
And they treat her like property, and that's what she is in this story. She is a prop, nothing more, something that powerful men fight over, never speaking, never expressing a preference if she was even given a choice. Her second instance is our scripture reading from today. David is king of the southern kingdom. And there has been a famine throughout Israel for three years. Year after year, there is famine. People are suffering. People are dying. And so David goes to the Lord and said, what is causing this famine? Where is it coming from? And God said, it's because a debt is owed to the Gibbonites. The Gibbonites were ancestors of the Amorites who were original dwellers in Israel. And it was promised that they would be able to stay in the land, that they would remain inhabitants, that they would not be harmed. But Saul, in his zeal to, to strengthen Israel, wanted to run them out, wanted to kill them. And he killed many of them. So David went to the Gibbonites. And he said, what must I do to make things right with us? What must I do to appease God? And the Gibbonites said, we don't want money. This isn't about God or or gold or silver. This is about your people killing our people. About Saul killing our sons, our daughters, our husbands, our brothers. We want you to hand over seven of Saul's sons so that we may put them to death, that we may impale them. And David doesn't hesitate. He doesn't blink. He doesn't bat an eye. He hands them over. And they do as what they say. These seven people put to death. Two of them were sons that Rizbah had for Saul. And five of them were sons of Saul's daughter. And Rizbah sees this happening. For her, the world stops. For her, life does not go on. As she hears her, watches her sons be taken off, handed over to the Gibbonites, sees them impaled. So she puts on sackcloth, the clothing of mourning. And she goes out and she lives with those seven bodies. She's there when the vultures come to consume their corpses and she scares them off. She's there to scare off the wild animals at the night. She's there day and night, rain and sunshine. She's there through the heat of the day, the cold of the night. She maintains vigil at their side. Mourning. Protecting. And honoring these seven people. And I can't imagine the difficulty she went through watching them decompose in the hot summer sun. Sitting there in the coolness of the night. Watching predators and vultures set in running around like a mad woman, waving her arms, trying to scare them off. 
Finally, word gets back to David what Rizbah has done. And he has mercy. And he realizes what a terrible thing this is. And he doesn't just retrieve the bodies, but he retrieves the bones of Saul and Jonathan and these seven bodies and has them all laid in Saul's family plot. And it's only then that God lifts the famine. It's only then that the people of Israel find relief. When I was in high school, I remember going to church with some friends. It was a Wednesday night program. It was a a youth gathering. And as we gathered there, it was a very evangelical church. And the youth leader said, tonight, we're going to practice witnessing. And they invited a young man to stand up. And then they invited two young, attractive girls to stand up and go talk to the young man. And he was supposed to think they were coming to flirt with him. But then they were supposed to ask him, if you died tonight, Where would you go? And even as a teenager, even as someone who was new to church, I remember thinking that that was so ridiculous. That that's not the way to win converts to Christ, to get people to follow God. That a gospel of fear is no gospel at all. I remember wondering, how would this ever be affected? If I was there and two cute girls came up to me when I was in high school, and I'm thinking, okay, these women are cute. These girls are, are cute. Maybe I'll be able to get a date. And they said, well, let's talk about Jesus. I would walk away. I would laugh about them with my friends. But I thought about the word witnessing. And I think witnessing is very important. But if you think about the word witness, it means to observe something. To see something. And I think that's how we truly witness. We witness about our faith in Christ. We witness about our love of God through our actions. Through what we do. Through what others can observe us doing. The old adage, actions speak louder than words. You can tell me all day long that you love Jesus Christ, but I want to see that you love Jesus Christ. I wanted to see it not just in the words you say, but in the way that you treat others in the things that you do. And I think Rizpah gives us a powerful witness this morning. Because although she never speaks, we see so much in her actions. Although she never speaks, her presence speaks volumes. Hers is the lone voice of love, grace, and redemption in a story of violence and revenge. David and the Gibbonites realize there's a problem, and they figure out the only way to solve it is through bloodshed. They are keeping score and wanting to have a tally and to even things up. They see the world through the lens of an eye for an eye. Saul killed the Gibbonites people, so the Gibbonites have to kill Saul's people. But Rizpah doesn't want any of that. 
Rizpah wants no part of revenge. No part of hurting others. She just wants justice for her two sons and for the other five people put to death. She just wants them to be laid to rest, to be remembered, to be treated fairly. We see that Rizpah is still a person of influence by the way that Saul's son and advisor fought over her because they thought that lended uh, more credibility to their seeking the crown. And she could have used that influence against David to speak out against him, to speak out, out against the Gibbonites. They have stolen our children, our sons, and put them to death. But instead she goes... And she simply cares for the bodies of those who would otherwise be forgotten. Instead, she keeps vigil by their side. She doesn't seek revenge, but shows compassion. And David hears of this witness. People saw her actions, observed what she was doing, and went and told him. And her compassion turned to his compassion. Her love moved him to justice. When he saw that these were not just nameless people, but these were sons, brothers, family members. When he heard of their mother weeping at their side, protecting their earthly remains. He took compassion on them. He took mercy. He removed the bodies and buried them properly. But more than that, he even went and retrieved the bodies of Saul Saul and Jonathan. And God responded as well. It wasn't the killing of the seven people, the handing of them over to the Gibbonites that eased the famine. It was when the seven bodies were laid to rest. Perhaps God did not want revenge for the Gibbonites. Perhaps it was compassion and justice that pleased God and moved God to end the famine. Perhaps that's what God really wants from us. Love. Compassion. Mercy. Justice. I'm sure we're all aware of the terrible events in Charlottesville yesterday. Just a few short hours from here. And hopefully, as I have, you have prayed for all the people there. Prayed for those hurt, those dead, those wounded. Prayed for people on each side. Prayed for peace. But when we think about these events, I think that Rizba gives us an important And a powerful reminder. Through Rizpah's vigil, through her actions, we are reminded that good triumphs over evil. We are reminded that love triumphs over hatred and revenge. And I think those are reminders that we need today. But more importantly, we are reminded that our actions... Our witness 
has consequences. When we act with compassion, we can move others to compassion. When we act with love, we can move others to justice. When we act with love and compassion towards others, we act in a way that is pleasing to God. And then good does triumph over evil. Then love does triumph over hatred, revenge, bloodshed. Then God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.